When Paul writes to the saints at Philippi, it is a letter written to some of his dearest friends, and it is a letter to a young local church that was birthed through the power of the gospel and is sustained by the power of the gospel and whose only hope for the future is found in the gospel. This is Philippians, and we are Mercy Village Church. You can learn more at www.mercyvillage.church. We live in a world where self-centeredness is the air we breathe. It's always been that way, in a sense. But I do feel like things like social media have maybe made it more obvious how interested in self so many of us are prone to be. Is this something that, that tends to happen to all of us? Now, I have a quote from C.S. Lewis, because I want to help all of us feel the need for this today. Not just to point, like to kind of deflect to the person who's boisterously uh, has a big ego and they just brag on themselves all the time. C.S. Lewis says that true humility is not thinking less of yourself, but thinking of yourself less, like frequency, less frequently thinking about yourself. You see, like, woe is me, and I'm not making light of pain, but woe is me can even be a self-centered thought. Can be, right? I'm not saying that mourning and grief are wrong. Nobody tweet that out of here. Does anybody tweet anymore? <laughs> is that even a thing? <laughs> but what I am saying is that arrogance, ego, Pride, self-centeredness doesn't always present itself boisterously, right? Pounding of the chest, although that's increased as well. I can't even watch NFL football anymore. I can't. I'm lying. But it's like you just gained three yards, right? Do we have to act like we just won the Super Bowl? I mean, I'm, I'm proud of you like I am. I hope your parents, you know your parents are proud of you too, but I mean, just let's... Act like we've been there before, but that's curmudgeonly. I get it. But it's almost like being a, a fish in water. You don't really notice the water. And because of the way society and, and culture is, sometimes we don't even notice. I don't even notice how self-centered I'm becoming. How mindful of my own preferences, my own ways, my own thoughts, my own desires I've become. Paul's going to push back against that today, but in a way that actually, in the end, although it's convicting and should be, should make us feel a little unsettled and a little uneven, is ultimately going to push us to Jesus in a way that comforts our hearts, even when we fail to be others-focused. We had a question last week that I posed, what, what would those close to you say drives you? What would those close to you say you're living for. I'll change it up just a little bit this week. That came out of Philippians 1.27, which called us to, if, if it was interpreted extremely literally, to live out your citizenship, your heavenly citizenship in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Those of you who are Christians, you're citizens of heaven. We're, we're citizens of the kingdom of God. And we talked last week like, West Virginia citizens smell like pepperoni rolls, right? They sound like country roads. 
by John Denver, right? We, we smell, sound, look a certain way. Citizens of the kingdom of God are to smell, sound, look a certain way. Last week we saw unity as one of those marks. That's what kingdom citizens look unified. Kingdom citizens look courageous. Kingdom citizens are people who are, who are coming to a right view of suffering. And this week, kingdom citizens are people who are marked by humility. That's what we look like, smell like, sound like, is, is humility. So the question I would ask this week is, would those close to you say that you're living for yourself or that you're living for others? Are they, are you, would they say you're living for yourself or living for others? By God's grace, how's this? For just driving right to the point. By God's grace, we need to get into Jesus and get over ourselves. That's the message for today. Father, what we know not today, please teach us. What we are not, please make us. And what we have not, please give us, namely humility and response to the humility of Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Verses 1 and 2, we're moving into chapter 2 of Philippians today. Letter to the saints at Philippi, written in the early 60s A.D., an ancient letter written to some people in the midst of difficult times by a man, the Apostle Paul, in the midst of difficult times. He himself was in prison when he wrote this letter. And he starts in these first two voices laying the seedbed for humility. Verse 1 says, so if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection in sympathy, this is your standard rhetorical question, by the way, and he's not questioning whether those things exist. Of course those things exist in Christ. There is encouragement in Christ. He's not questioning if it exists. It's a rhetorical question. Is there any comfort in love? Of course there is in the love of Christ. And there's participation. The Holy Spirit is at work in our lives because of Jesus. Yes, that's reality. There is affection and sympathy among the people of God because of Jesus. Yes, these things exist. What he's doing instead is is he's calling kind of the two things. We talked about this last week at the end of the sermon. He's kind of saying, test your citizenship. In you, Christian, in you, saints at Philippi, is there encouragement? in the things of Christ. Like is that like is the truth of the gospel growing more and more encouraging to your heart over time? Is that a reality in your life? Test your citizenship because for a citizen of the kingdom of God, that's a reality. There'll be there'll be comfort in Christ. There there will be uh, all of those things, fellowship with the Holy Spirit, affection and sympathy, encouragement, test your citizenship. Another thing he's doing it right as he as like the second piece of that is if you self-assess you test your citizenship and again this isn't a call to perfection like man every time i sing about the gospel man i just weep because i'm so encouraged right like again like because we're appalachian many of us we got some legalism in our past we like to just really hold ourselves maybe to this high standard. Uh, self-deprecation is a language of, of Appalachia sometimes. So I'm not like saying like uh, that you got to be perfect in these things. That's not the measure. But are you growing towards these things? 
That's the test of citizenship. And then if you are, the reality is this. Only Christ can make you like Christ. So when you look at your life, if you see, yeah, this behavior in my life, by God's grace, looks, smells, sounds like the kingdom of God. Jesus did that. That means you belong to God and Christ. Rest in that reality. That's what Paul's doing from the beginning. Like he's laying a seedbed, a resting place in this reality because he's going to call you to humility. And when he does, it's going to be an otherworldly, countercultural, difficult call. And if you're like, well, I can pull that off by myself, right? You're just setting yourself up for struggle. You're setting yourself up for guilt. You're setting yourself up for failure. But if you realize, I'm going to lean into Christ and he's there for me. He's available to me because of the finished work of Jesus on the cross. God calls me his child, and he is working all things together for my good, and he's going to finish the work that he started in me. Then you can strive for humility from a place of resting in the seedbed, the seedbed of the gospel. He throws us back to another thing, though, in verse 2 to last week. He says, not only only does... Um, well, let me read it first. Complete my joy, he says, by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. That's the same similar language to what he used last week when he says same mind, same love, full accord, one mind. He's talking about unity. So this is the second time he's talked about unity in this kind of what's it look like. And that, that, that's why I want to pause there for a second, because if you mention it twice, right, it's important. Unity is a mark of kingdom citizenship. He said it last week, and now he says it again. So you can't blow past unity, and that matters. And, and while it's not the main point, humility is the main point we're getting at this week, unity matters. It does. And, and, and humility can only come in a place of unity. It can only come from that place. So might we be people who desire unity. Might we not be okay with backbiting, slanderous gossip? Like, might we never be okay with those things? Might we not be okay with unnecessary division? Are there times where topics and and, uh, things are so important that you might have to part ways with somebody? Possibly. Do we do that way too fast in our current world? Yes, Way too fast. We divide over way too many things, way too quickly. So might we value unity? Might we hold fast to it? And, and might it not only be something that we hold fast to, but Paul says, that's what's going to make me happy. You will make me joyful, he says, is unity amongst the people of God. Might it be, be our joy as well? When we see brothers and sisters in Christ dwelling in unity, might that make us, make us happy? So that's the seedbed for humility. It's got to be rooted in the realities of the gospel. It's not going to work. And now he calls you and me to it. He says, do nothing, nothing, right? Like he doesn't say like the behaviors that I'm about to call out are okay in certain situations. Never okay. What I'm about to tell you, never okay. Do nothing out of rivalry or conceit. If you have one of those ESV journals or a new uh, copy, newer copy of the ESV Bible, this is old as the hills, if you couldn't tell, duct tape Bible. Um, it says selfish ambition, which is a great translation. So you got, 
right? So what English translators are doing, and you didn't come to hear this, but they're taking Greek, it was written, uh, written in Greek originally, and they're taking and finding the best, most readable way for us English, American English speakers, to understand what it was originally said. And so there's decisions made sometimes, like one Bible might say rivalry, one Bible might say uh, selfish ambition. They're getting at that one Greek word that's maybe difficult to wrap our brains around. And so to know that both of those help define the word is helpful. Selfish ambition, rivalry, competitiveness, okay? Not on the ball field per se. That can be healthy, but right like in all the stuff. And again, this is the air we breathe even if we don't recognize it. You, you potentially want your social media feed to be something because there's a part of you that is jealous of someone else or envious of someone else. I said you. I should have said we. Me as well. It's reality for us. The, the competitiveness, this rivalry, this selfish ambition, does, it's not just showing up in sports, right? It's like in all areas of our life, it can manifest itself. So he says, do nothing, not a single thing from selfish ambition, from, from rivalry or conceit. Conceit is a great word in Greek. I'll stop talking about Greek, I promise. But it's this mashup of two words, like two words thrown together into one that literally mean wasted glory. Selfish desire, conceit for yourself, that's wasted glory because there's only one worthy of glory, God himself. So when you live your life for your own glory, it's wasted. That's the point he's making. That's conceit. When you desire your, your, your own glory. So instead, that's what he says, do nothing out of rivalry or conceit, but instead in humility, count others more significant, of higher value than yourselves. Verse 4, let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. That's the call. There's a negative part to it. Let rivalry, selfishness, conceit die. Replace them, right, with consideration of others more superior than yourself with an interest in other people's interests. This exhortation is otherworldly, and we're going to come back to that. As we apply this to our lives, we're going to come back to the fact that this is, this is not a normal way of living. But what I want us to just own right now, and, and again, why I started where I started, is that I hope you can own the difficulty of the call to humility. Like, no matter what your personality is, that you're not excluded from the difficulty of humility. It manifests itself in a thousand different ways. Lack of humility, conceit, rivalry, selfish ambition. And so it's real easy for us to act like somebody else might be more arrogant than me. That somebody else might be more selfish than me. And what I hope is happening as we hinge into looking at the example of humility, which is Jesus, that you're owning your own stuff, not somebody else's. You're looking at your own call to humility and, and realizing it is a difficult call to be humble. 
In fact, we can't do it, and that's why the passage has this culmination of great news. He says in verse 5, he says, here's the example. So if you look at 1 and 2, you see the seedbed for humility. 3 and 4 is encouragement towards humility. And in verse 5 through 11, he's going to give us the example of humility. He says, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. There's good news in that short sentence. He says, if you belong to Jesus, then what I'm about to describe to you is yours by default. Jesus in you means this mind is in you. So when you're arrogant, when I'm arrogant, when I'm self-centered, I'm actually acting like the old man, not the new man. Because inside of me is a transformation that has taken place, which means the example we're about to see, the power, the ability, the desire, the want for it has been placed inside of me through Jesus Christ. It's mine. It's yours in Christ Jesus. Have this mind in yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Verse 6, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. Jesus isn't clinging on to power. He's not clinging on to influence. He's not clinging on to comfort. He's willing to let go of those things for the sake of others. Thank God. You don't go to the cross looking for comfort. You don't go to the cross looking for influence. You don't go to the cross looking for power. That's not, that's not found at the cross. And so he lets those things go. Verse 7, but made himself nothing, taking on the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. Jesus in all of his cosmic power put on flesh, dwells among us. Jesus, epic in existence, massive in measurement, puts on flesh and dwells among us. Verse 8, And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. It's a Christmas song, but we can get get with the Christmas spirit early, right? Have you ever heard this one by Chris Rice? This is a few of the lyrics. This is old. It's an old song. But in there, he sings these lyrics of the incarnation, Jesus coming to this earth to be born as a child, fragile finger, right, in that little baby hand, Fragile finger sent to heal us, tender brow prepared for thorn, tiny heart, hear this, whose blood will save us unto us is born. So wrap our injured flesh around you, breathe our air and walk our sod, rob our sin and make us holy, perfect son of God. Welcome to our world. Paul calls us to humility. He points us to Jesus. And he points us to the incarnation. John, when he starts his gospel, says, in the beginning was the Word. He's talking about Jesus. And the Word was with God. Jesus was with God. And Jesus was God. Jesus was God. That As he goes on describing it, he says that Jesus was there when everything was created. Nothing exists without his voice. All the cosmic power in the universe in Jesus. Massive. I mean, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the creator and sustainer of all things. Now, I'll date myself with this, but remember when Aladdin, remember this great epic film? Aladdin at the end, and if this is a spoiler for you, come on. What are you doing? He tricks Jafar 
into wishing to be a genie. You with me? Okay, and when he does, he like, he's there, like he's got all these planets. He's like juggling them in his hands. And, and Aladdin says, all the cosmic power in the universe. And then he holds up that lamp and Jafar just sucks back into it. And he says, itty bitty living space. Listen, that's the incarnation times a billion. The power of God in a baby. You talk about humility, right? To leave his throne, worshiped, to come to this earth, all the fullness of God, hear me, in a fetus, growing inside of a young girl, pushed out of a human. If you've ever witnessed a birth, right, that's humble. In a barn, in the hay, unable to feed himself, unable to walk, unable to talk. The sustainer of all life, nursing from his mother just to stay alive. Like that should blow your mind and it should never cease to blow our minds. This is what Paul points to. This God who puts our injured flesh on him and comes and walks this earth, who sweats, who bleeds, who gets thirsty, who cries, that should never cease to blow our minds. And he, he didn't just humble himself, Paul says, to becoming a living and breathing human. He humbles himself to become a dying human. He dies on the cross. Cursed is him that hangs on the tree. And he redeemed us from the curse by becoming the curse. And watch what happens next, our last verses. 9 through 11, this is the result. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him a name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That's the happy ending. But hear me, and this is free. This isn't even in the notes. Notice the timing of the reward. It comes after the suffering. It comes after the pain. It comes after the struggle comes after the blood and the sweat and the tears. That's when the reward comes. And the apostles will point to this time and time again for the children of God, because you know, as a child of God, there's, an, there's reward laid up for you in heaven as well. It's no small thing. Like eternity, you can't fathom it, that's, that's, and I can't fathom it, is why we're not just drooling over it. Like if we understood the epic nature of eternity with God, we would just be longing with every fiber of our being to be there right now, just like Paul was in chapter 1. That's waiting for you. But hear me today, it might not come. The reward doesn't always come in the timing we want it to come, but we can trust God's definition of reward is infinitely better than ours, and His timeline for reward is always but here's why it matters, all of this. And this is where, Lord willing, by God's grace, it gets personal for you today. The Holy Spirit has to do that work in your life. I can't. 
don't know everyone's unique circumstances. But what Jesus, or what Paul does, is points us to Jesus. He says, look at the incarnation. Look at the crucifixion. This is the power of humility. Like humility is not just a acute characteristic. It is a powerful, world-changing reality. And he says, do you see what happened with Jesus? The incarnation, the crucifixion, that's the gospel. You're here today because of the humility of Jesus. If you're a Christian, your soul has been bought through the price of Jesus' blood, right? Because of the humility of Jesus. We were separated from God by our sins. Jesus paid the price on the cross. The blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son, cleanses us from all sin. That's what humility purchased for you. Power. And the, and the end results are powerful. At the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And hear me to say this today, too. Everyone will bow the knee to Jesus. According to this book, everyone. Those who choose to bow the knee to Jesus in this life will spend eternity in heaven with God. Those who wait because they refuse to bow the knee to Jesus in this life, they're going to bow anyway, but their end is destruction. If you're not a Christian, bow the knee to Jesus today. Receive His humble sacrifice on your behalf as a free gift from God. Through faith, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved and enter in to a life with Jesus. If you are a Christian, two points of application. The first, get over yourself. How do you like that? Thought long and hard about that. The practical steps towards this were clearly spelled out in verses 3 and 4. Be of the same mind, have the same love. These are unity pieces, being full accord. These hum- humility pieces avoid selfish ambition and conceit. Count others more significant than yourself. Seek the interest of others. But if you put it simply, it's just that. Get over yourself. I don't say that harshly. And I certainly don't say that from a place of superiority. I think of myself way, way, way too much. You can ask the people in my life. They see it firsthand all the time. But I say it with deep, fervent passion that that's the trajectory we all should be on is letting go of that self, those selfish desires, seeking humility. So just think about a couple things, and I can't give a thousand examples, but these maybe will get your mind turning. What do you do with the balance of your time? Do you spend it for yourself? Or do you spend it for others and for the sake of the kingdom? What do you do with the balance of your money? Do you spend it for yourself or for, the, for others in the kingdom? What do you do with your preferences? Do you lay them down for the sake of others in the kingdom or do you cling to them? What are your motives on social media? Thinking of yourself or others in the kingdom? 
We could go on and on. A thousand things. Trusting the Holy Spirit to do the work in your heart. That's work of self-examination. But don't leave out like good things either. Like self-care, I'm for that. But are you practicing self-care? The name's confusing. For yourself? For others? For the kid, right? Like, are you being filled back up in whatever your version of self-care is? Are you being filled back up so you can pour into others and into the kingdom? Or are you just filling yourself up for yourself? I'm asking myself these questions. Even your engagement at church, believe it or not, can be for yourself in a sense of like here to be seen, here to have my needs met, only my needs met. Come here to have your needs met because Jesus meets your needs. But if your only reasons to be here are for yourself, right, even that can turn into a a selfish thing. Man, Paul, it's so convicting. I hope it's convicting. I I want it to be. It has been for me. This is a countercultural call. God's design is not for you to be at the center of the universe. You can't handle that. That should be relieving to you. You don't need to be at the center of your universe. Only God belongs there. God alone is worthy of that place. So, so get over yourself. I want to say this too. Some of y'all have been burned by being selfless and humble. I'm, I'm actually... I, I talk with a therapist once every two weeks on Zoom for some church wounds in my past. Maybe that's even where your selflessness has been taken advantage of, is, is in the church. So I don't say lightly, get over yourself. I'm dealing, working through some of my own wounds right now, deep ones. And a piece of that has been, and this is some of us, selflessness has become our identity, Right? I'll serve, I'll serve, I'll serve, I'll serve, I'll serve. And in some weird way, this is my story, our selflessness got turned to selfishness because we are now martyrs for the sake of the kingdom. In our own minds, this is who I am. I'm the one who lays down my preferences, lays down my rights, lays down my desires, and eventually that becomes, look at me. And then when nobody notices, things go bad. It doesn't mean my wounds aren't real, but a piece of that was my own twisting of selflessness. Lean into the gospel. This is our only hope. Fast forward to next week. This is a sneak peek. Verse 13, chapter 2. I'm hurrying. For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. That's coming next week. So when you think about, okay, I want to be humble or maybe I don't want to be humble, ask God to give you that desire. That's what he says. It's God who works in you both the will and the working for his good pleasure. If you want to do the right thing, it has to be God that works that inside of you. And if you're going to have the ability to do the right thing, it's going to be God who works that inside of you. So if you want to be, if you don't even want to be humble, ask God for that desire. And if you want to be humble, but you don't feel like you can, ask God for that ability. And when you fail, which I have this week 
multiple times. Remember the incarnation and the crucifixion, the perfect humility of Jesus. Remember the nearness of God and repent. Not because God's standing over you with a club, but because God's standing there with open arms to welcome you. Repent of your selfishness. Repent of your lack of humility and receive the forgiveness of God. And God, and let's get after it again together as the people of, of God, for the glory of God and for our joy. I have a vision. Not like a, not a vision, like I had a vision. Um, but I have a vision of a people of God, Mercy Village Church, moving out into the world around us with starkly obvious humility. How beautiful would that be if in all the places we live and work and play, we displayed the selflessness and the humility of Jesus? It wouldn't be easy. You might get trampled a few times along the way, but it'd be a beautiful representation of the realities of the gospel. When I pray for this church, that's probably within the top four or five things that I pray for. So we'll be people marked by selflessness and humility. Might God make it so. By God's grace, might we be people who get so deeply into Jesus that we have no choice but to get over ourselves. That will be a powerful witness. God, thank you so much for your kindness and for your example through your son Jesus of humility. Might we not be... Might we not see it as an overwhelming call? Might we see it as an irresistible opportunity to walk with Jesus in the way of Jesus? So humble us. Might we think of ourselves less? Might we live our lives for you more? And might every facet of our lives begin to reflect that? Slow growth, for me, it has been. I, I, This type of thing doesn't happen overnight for most of us, maybe for some. But in that long journey in the the direction of, of humility and obedience, give us perseverance and strength and ongoing repentance and, and uh, perseverance to keep doing um, the selfless things, the humble things. All by your grace and for your glory. In the name of Jesus Christ. Thanks for listening. You can subscribe to this feed wherever you listen to podcasts. We exist to experience and embody redemption and renewal in Christ alone. And we'd love for you to experience what God is doing as Jesus builds Mercy Village Church. Connect with us online at www.mercyvillage.church.